It's the Comedy Undergrads Podcast. Understand that we underground, we underpaid, underrated, and we run around town, underqualified, and we're living under the sea. We interview a new cool human every week. It's the Comedy Undergrads Podcast. It's the Comedy Undergrads Podcast, where we talk to the best comedians who will talk to us. Yeah. Hello. Hello, welcome to the third episode of the Comedy Underguts podcast. Today we are here with Ash Preston. He has spent a few days here in Amsterdam. He's performed at the Natyanita. He's performed with the Comedy Embassy at Boom Chicago. Uh, welcome, welcome to Amsterdam, Ash Preston. Hello, thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you very our much. Pleasure, yeah, our pleasure, our yeah. pleasure. I'm Benedetto Zurlo and I'm here with... Uh, Lara Ricote. And Akko Sardosi. Hey, and we are going to start by listening to a, uh, a set a minute of a set from uh, Ash's set at... Uh, uh, it was this? at the Stand in Glasgow last year at the Stand Comedy Club. Wonderful. So let's, uh, let's listen to this and then we'll, uh, we'll get right into it. Um, I'm going to finish on this story about uh, something that happened to me on a train, right? Now, uh, as you know, comedy is a very late night job and I don't drive, which means that I usually have to get uh, the last train home from a gig. Now, you've all probably got the last train home before. Have you ever done that? Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, now some of you will probably know it as the drunk train. Uh, I like to call it Agatha Christie's murder on the Trans Pennine Express. I'm <laughs> <laughs> on this train, right, and there is a, there's one seat. One seat available on this train, and the woman next to this seat, right, was a nun of all people. And she had her bag on the spare seat, which, in my opinion, was go made her a nun with a bad habit. <laughs> Yeah, get fucked, great point. Anyway. <laughs> and I said, is there anyone sat there? And she said, yes. And I was like, hang on a second, it's a priory seat, not a priority seat, you know what I'm saying? Is anyone sat there? And she said, yes. But there was no one sat there, Glasgow. So I can only assume she reserved that seat for God, right? And prayed the world in seven days, but as we also know, bloody loves a rail saver, doesn't he? So I turn around, I'm on a busy train, I've got drunk people to the left of me, Hindus to the right, here I am stuck in the middle with you. And I turn around after ten minutes, and what do I see? What do I see? You! Not actually you, but metaphorically a woman who I was on the same platform with who was absolutely hammered had got the seat next to the nun. And it got me thinking, what did I do wrong? What could I have done to have got that seat? What could I have offered her? A vow of chastity? You've heard about sex, What did she do to get the seat next to the nun? Does she know all the limits to sister at one and two? I was guessing bloody does. You know what the most embarrassing thing was about? The most humiliating thing? And I'll finish on this, Glasgow. You would think, wouldn't you, everyone? You would bloody think... But after 2,000 years, a nun sees someone who looks like moi on a train. <laughs> she welcomed me with open arms. Ah, that joke. <laughs> so you, you were telling us yesterday that, is, uh, that that was a natural, that actually happened. Yeah, um, I'd been doing a show in, it was in Manchester, I'd been doing a show in Stockport, which is just outside of Manchester, and it was like, um, the, the, there'd, been a, there'd been a football match on, there's a lot of football matches on in Manchester, with mm. Manchester City and Manchester United being in the same um, metropolitan area, but there'd also been a concert on at the MEN, I think it was Kylie Minogue, it was something a lot of women went to, mm. and so this train was absolutely heaving, and um, there was no room but bar the one seat. And there w- it was a nun. And I was just like, oh, this is 
That's interesting to see. Was she watching the match or was she in the Kylie Minogue concert? Not a clue. And I just asked, is anyone sat there? And she went, yes, and, but there wasn't anyone sat there. And then, so I just kind of stood in the train uncomfortable for like 10 minutes and then turned around. And then there was a, a lady who I was on the same platform with. Was n I don't think a friend of the nun. Uh, was sat, she, I think she was somebody who'd been on a night out or something. Was sat there and I was like, well, that's not, that, how has that happened? So I took a <laughs> selfie. And right as I took the picture, she glanced at the camera, which which was which Don't is know. why and I think I showed you last night that brilliant yeah. photo. Um, and then the the whole punchline there of the looking like Jesus thing. Um, yeah, right. That's yeah. for our listeners. That is a key moment that yeah. you that you're unaware of. But yeah. he looks a lot a lot like Jesus. I mean, it, it, the context for anyone watching it on the live stream, they get it now clearly. <laughs> um, and I I didn't. I was like, oh, that is funny. I can maybe write something about it. And I was I was with my ex girlfriend at the time, and she was the one that just came up with the line. You'd think after so long she'd be happy to see you. And I was like, that's it. That's perfect. I can do the the Jesus pose, and you know. Not or, have to, yeah, you yeah. stand up. You stand on yeah, the chair. Yeah, sometimes standing on a chair. There isn't a chair. I just do the pose anyway. But it, and, it, and and I think it's interesting because the audience, um, as we watch, as you saw when I performed last night for you guys, I do a lot of lookalike jokes at the start. I, I think they're quite hacky lookalike jokes, but I wanted to write ones that were quite uniquely weird. And I think so, there. I was actually thinking of that because you you've been doing comedy for three years, and yeah. uh, but that's what we we spoke about a little yeah. bit yesterday. Um, and and I know that it's a thing that you begin with, no? Like it's a thing I began with yeah. as well. Like in a, that you you do a joke about something that everybody's already seeing, mm. and then you get that weight off of them. Yeah. Um. But you have so many, and they're so good, and and it's like every single one is a different because you look like a lot of things, a lot I, of people. I, I look like. <laughs> I look, with the exception of Jesus, who probably has some fans still, and I don't want to rubbish him. A few. Um, a few. Yeah. There's uh, uh, everyone I get told I look like tend to be really horrible people in history so Charles Manson who doesn't have a massive fan base you know, um, when my when my hair was shorter I don't, I don't think you'd know but there, there was a there was a murderer in the early 80s called Peter Sutcliffe he was called the Yorkshire Ripper yes. and he killed like yeah, 13 yeah. women and Oy. someone once said to me Oh, you look like a bloke I saw in a documentary. And I was like, oh, who's that? And he went, I can't remember. He he hit all these women with a hammer. And I was like, <laughs> was the Yorkshire Ripper. And he went, yeah, that was it. And he said it like it was a positive thing. <laughs> you went viral on yeah. Netflix. <laughs> so that, um, Cheetah from Eurovision, you know, like uh, I did a picture where I stood next to her autobiography and the BBC Eurovision's Twitter retweeted it saying Whoa. uncanny resemblance. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, but that those are not things that you you get tired of at any moment. Like that, I just think they're fun. They I are. Think, I, I think audiences enjoy the kind of oh, they look like that person. But it's also a case of like writing like a lookalike joke is like the the standard joke is uh, I know what you're thinking. What if so and so and so and so had a baby? And it's like kind of <laughs> like um, I think it's just cheap. So I wanted to write really uniquely odd versions of lookalike jokes so that's yeah. why I refer to when I say I look like Charles Manson I refer to myself as the three time UK regional semi-finalist because <laughs> yeah. it just sounds weird and there's got to be at least one person in the audience going is that a thing? Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. From your video that we've seen before there were actually people cheering when you 
announced that yeah, well, before yeah, the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, yeah. You look like a horrible person. Yay! That's England yeah. for you. <laughs> we thrive on misery and yeah. people not doing great. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you 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 gave those jokes also last night. Last night uh, we had the the pleasure of having you close our open mic at Crip. Yeah, it was and they also they, they also worked uh, with uh, with our audiences here in Amsterdam. Yeah, it was fantastic. But, it yeah. was really it was a wonderful gig. So it was a really great gig and. Um, yeah, it worked. Thank goodness it worked. <laughs> <laughs> so, so about the the, uh, the lookalike jokes, the, um, you say that the audience really enjoys them, and you enjoy them yourself. You I, I they they they're um, I like them because they're just like they're icebreaker jokes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they're the um, little jokes you can do at the start to kind of get the audience warmed into you before you then go into slightly different material. I think it's just very a nice gentle way of breaking an audience into your material sometimes. I don't really get bored of doing them. Mm-hmm. I mean when when eventually when the hair falls out I'm knackered. I've got a I'm I'm done for then. I've got to write new jokes. Um, so that'll be that'll be when I start panicking. When this hair starts falling out and Give it a few years where it goes completely grey. I'll be like, right, who's got long hair and grey? Well, Gandalf. I'll be Gandalf. Until <laughs> <laughs> I go completely bald, I'll be Gandalf. From... <laughs> we already got we already got your jokes for, you know, 20 years down the road. Oh, yeah. <laughs> as long as this stays, I'll just keep altering it. So. And, and uh, about the about the nun joke, it's a, so it has many parts, nuts. It's the part that, that first you get there and it's like a really cramped train and everybody can get on board with you. And then the nun, already it being a nun is like a bit funny. After yeah, it's just it was it was merely a case of like all good fortune happening. It's like you you get a lot of material from real life, and so that story happened. And then what you have to do then is you have to look at that story and then go, okay, well how can I make it even funnier? So then you kind of have the preamble about the trains and and how everyone relates to the fact that they've probably had to get the last train home yeah. and it's never a fun experience because usually it's either really busy if something's been going on or people are a bit drunk and it's just like you just want to get off that train but it always stops at every stop as well because yeah. it's the last one and so far <laughs> so you relate to that the audience kind of relate to that and then you go into this ridiculous story that no one would believe but you have to kind of get the idea that well th- th- this did happen and it's like and it's all just um it's a psychological thing it's a little trick i like to play actually because um i do all the lookalikes at the start but i never reference jesus but i know mm-hmm. i've had audience members come up to me afterwards going I thought you were going to mention Jesus at the start because I thought you looked like him. So because I haven't mentioned it, I think the audience still have it in their head, but it slides away into the back of their brain somewhere while they watch the set. And then when I do that whole story, I still don't think they know it's going there. But as soon as I then reference... um, uh, you think what was it after two thousand years? She yeah. saw someone looks yeah, like yeah, yeah, moi yeah. on a train. The audience then it's like a light bulb moment. You can see the audience all go, ah, <laughs> there we go. And it's like he did bring it up. So and it's nice also because uh, I guess I don't know if, if it used to be a, st- a joke that you would have in the start. Now you end with it. Yeah. Um, is it a thing that everybody had already gotten used to the type of guy that you are? And also, um, when you say the thing about the sister act, like someone who knows sister act by memory, uh, and the, and the nun <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't allow them to sit next to you. I mean, you're already this quirky persona on stage that we're like, he would know sister act, you know? Like mm-hmm. then we you've like we've empathized with you enough that anything that you say we've kind of already bought. So I yeah. think like going into the story, I don't doubt that it's true because I've yeah. heard your your set until then. Did you ever have this joke uh, in the beginning of a set or did you play with the places? Um, I think it kind of ended up being the the like um, the showstopper at the end of the set when it happened. It happened in like, I think I've been doing it, but I think I've been doing comedy about six months when that, that happened. And I just quickly wrote it and then over time it got 
longer and bigger as I sort of put more effort into like the structure of it, adding the little bits in, like adding that line where I compare it to calling it Agatha Christie's murder on the <laughs> Trans Pennine Express, which is a murder on the Orient Express joke. And sometimes that doesn't work because some audiences are like, we don't read books. Um, <laughs> we don't read books, Ash. Um, is there a television version of it? There's been several movies. Yeah, but not bothered. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it started, um, I think before that, I just kind of just ended my set because I was still sort of finding myself in what what was funny and what wasn't uh, and so that happening was like ah oh, that's what I need and that is the closer and I haven't really wrote a better kind of like closing joke yet so I'm just going to ride with that one because I always feel that like it's like I, I, people always ask you do you get bored doing your jokes and it's like not really because you're always messing around with them you know, you're always changing it around. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I, it's such a cliche, but oh, people, everyone has a cliche about how, what comedy is. And I compare it to being a bit like a mechanic on a car. So you have the engine, which is your jokes, and you are just messing with it constantly. You're tinkering with it here and there just to make it go smoother or faster or make that go better, make change a word there. And it's like, it's not just telling jokes. A lot of people who ask you, like, what's comedy like? And it's like, I just go, I go very complicated. Because you are not just telling a joke. You have to find the beat and the rhythm of it, the right word, the syllables. Because sometimes it can be too wordy. Sometimes it can need more. And there's so much effort that goes into writing jokes. Um, it's not funny, but it's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you just see complex. the tip of the iceberg when you're, when you're yeah. watching a comedian on stage. Oh, absolutely. The, you, when you, if, a, if a bit that you're watching and you're laughing your head off at it, they've done that about 50, 100, 200 times constantly working on it to make it sharper funnier and they know the beats the rhythms of it and that's why it's making it funnier because they know exactly where to catch you and where to hit you with the joke so except for the um, except for the Luke jokes and the absurdities of everyday yeah. life have you have you found any other any other tool or constant element that you don't really like to change you said it's it's, it's, it's a constant process and you're yeah. continuously developed but is there any broad other like constant element in your in your material that you like to use uh, I think the structure of it I never really like I never really like swapping around where certain jokes go because I feel like it's uh, it's almost like a set list you know like when a band has a set mm. list they kind mm-hmm. of they'll change one or two things around or they'll mm. go oh well I've got I've got an extra five minutes here so I'll put that new song in I'll put mm. that new bit I'm working on in there like last night I worked on a new bit because I had the extra time and I was like oh okay and it's um, I don't really change I, I don't really change that much around I also don't actively talk about things I don't enjoy so like I in real life away from stage I'm really into politics in the UK I'm mm-hmm. really interested in what happens in politics but talking about it on stage doesn't interest me in the slightest mm-hmm. because a lot of comics will talk about things like Brexit mm-hmm. or Donald Trump, and I just feel like it's been done. Mm-hmm. Unless you are a really, really savvy political mm-hmm. comedian who can constantly, who that is literally what you spend all day doing. I feel that it's just a done topic, and I think just for my personality, uh, it's quite an quite a big eccentric character. I just don't think it works, so I don't really like to talk about what I don't enjoy. You know that kind of it's a weird thing, but. Like, I feel like sometimes you feel like you have to write about current events mm. and I just don't feel you do I think like just talk about your crotch and make silly jokes you'll enjoy our segment uh, <laughs> we, do, we have a new <laughs> segment do you feel like that, uh, that if you would start to d- do this type of jokes then it would break up the connection with the audience you've created I before think it, I think it would I think it would because you never know 
what the audience's perception is. And I feel that if you are going to be doing jokes about stuff like that, then the then the writing has to be really good. You have to have a different take on things. Uh, I feel that you can talk about anything on stage. I think it doesn't matter how controversial it is. I think you can talk about anything, but you have to find the right angle and it has to be so completely new for it to be funny. There's so many, you can do every Tinder joke in the world and it's been done. You know, what, what new angle can you come up with there? And that's what you should always be doing. But there's certain subjects where I'm just like, I'm just not bothered. So yeah. <laughs> I'd rather talk about other things, so. And also, I mean, there's a thing about about the people, the person that we're seeing. Yeah. And like, I mean, if it's something that's fun for you, it will be fun for us. Hopefully, yeah. most of the time. And like, if it, I also think that there, those are the moments in which we like buy. We're like investing in your in the persona that you're giving us, and then we like what we're receiving back, and so then we're into anything that you that you give us. So I I wanted to know about like jokes that that work for you, and then you bomb with them, and then what do you like? How does that make you feel about your joke or? Um, it's um. It's a weird one because um, uh, nearly every joke I've done in the act has bombed at some point somewhere. Even the the nun joke, I've done it to some audiences and they've just been like, okay. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I don't feel that they're, I don't feel like changing them because I know they've done all right at other venues. So like I've done some of the jokes and they've, they've been brilliant. And then I've gone to like, so I've been like somewhere in Manchester and it's been great. And then the next day I'm in somewhere in North Wales and it completely dies on its backside. It's terrible. But then at the same time, I'm like, but I've just done it at four gigs prior, and it was good. So I know it's not necessarily something wrong with it. I'm not. You don't want to say the audience are wrong, but sometimes an audience aren't into things, and it's like I don't feel that. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't really fear the death on stage thing because I know it. I've, I've kind of got the confidence in what I'm doing to know it works. How did that go? How did that go from? Because I don't know if you ever had a moment where you did fear the death on stage, but... Well, I think every comedian needs to have it. Yes. So when I started in 2017, I, I think I did about five gigs in a row that were all really fun little five-minute sets. I'm like, oh, this is good. But I could sense and I knew mm. there's a, there's going to be a death at some point. There has to be a death because it's, it teaches you humility. So once you have that first death where you do five minutes and you get nothing or you do a gong show you know one of those like yeah. shows you know, and you do like you do 20 seconds of your set that you really liked and then they all just go no cards or <laughs> gong <laughs> I think it just brings you it, it brings you it, it's a bit of a come to Jesus moment where you're like okay let's think about what I need to do here because you know it's like a hard slog and it's like I, I, I've seen so many comics kind of do like their sets and then do a gong show and then last like 10 seconds and look like the world has swallowed them up and it's just like don't worry about it honestly people are horrible when do you get this kind of confidence um through not fearing failure that's so nonsense but it's like i i just go on now because I've done it enough now to kind of have the confidence that I know I can be funny, I know what works in my set, and I know it can be funny. So I kind of go on with the mentality of not fearing it being terrible. Um, if you fear that your set is not going to work, then it's you're not going to do a good set because you've already kind of mentally defeated yourself a bit because that's in your head, you know, and it's like, and away from the stage, oh, I, have, I have issues with depression and stuff. I have days where I'm just like, I don't want to get out of bed and stuff but then I like well I know now I've got to be paid to be somewhere so I will go and try and do it and you try and find that energy in yourself and if the audience are 
a fun audience as well. You're like, well, I need to give them something here. They've paid to see, not necessarily me, but they've paid to see this comedy evening. I want to give them their money's worth and I want to be paid in return for that, for putting in a good performance for them. Mm -hmm. So it's a case of where the energy comes from just, I think naturally I'm very energetic. So hence why you offered me a coffee and I was like, I'm fine. Like uh, (laughs) really honestly, like I, I have enough. I don't know where it comes from. I just have like a naturally a lot of mad energy, which uh, then completely crashes at times uh, as a human does. But um, yeah, I don't really, I don't really fear it. I, th- I think you just have to go on with the confidence that it's you're going to be good. Did you have yeah. did, did you have this <clears throat> confidence from the beginning, or did you develop it since you since you started? It, it developed the first gig I did back because I actually it's technically the second time I've done comedy. I actually did it in two thousand and eight mm-hmm. through till two thousand and ten. Yeah, I was at university at the time. And um, like I, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Uh, many <laughs> generations ago. <laughs> uh, it was literally over a decade. I, I, am I thought you were only 33. I'm, 30, no. I'm 32. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 Back I, up. I, I, want, I wanted to make a Jesus joke, but all right. I've not got long to get in July, and then we'll, we'll start milking that joke for all it's worth. <laughs> but I, I did it for about two years, but I only did about 40 40 shows, 40 gigs. Because I, at the time I had university studies and I also had many other things outside that mm-hmm. were causing me problems. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, a bit of a minor breakdown somewhere around 2010. I'm not going to go into that too much, but uh, that's what happened. And I, I completely ignored comedy for about nearly seven years. Didn't watch anything on the telly when it was on hardly. Oh, like, oh. I, I think there'd be certain things on the telly I'd catch it, but I wouldn't watch live. I didn't go to live comedy, barely watch any actual stand-up. And then um, me and my ex went to Edinburgh in 2016 just to watch some stuff for the weekend like a weekend away and I ran into people I started out with and they were all doing their first hour shows some of them were some of them already big people on television and I was like oh that's that's pretty cool and then um one of them said are you thinking about gigging again ever and I was like no not really to be honest no but then a couple of months later it was like a little thought that was still in my head and it was like a little bug that was nattering and biting away at me and I just occasionally decided writing new jokes now and again like oh because I didn't remember my set from years ago I couldn't remember any of those jokes and they were terrible anyway (laughs) so I wrote just a couple of jokes and then around the end of February I started asking around um, going what are the open mic gigs in Manchester and there was one I think called the Tiger Lounge it's not there anymore but um, it was on like a Thursday and I just uh, went with like the five minutes I had and it was terrifying because I thought in my head right I've not done this for seven years if this bombs fine I was never funny if it works, then oh, there could be something in this. I and it went, it went okay. <laughs> it went okay, but it was the most terrifying five minutes. Because in the back of my head, I was just remembering, oh, remember all those times you sucked, you know, <laughs> when you first did it. And so I just kept doing these little five-minute sets, building my confidence up over and over and over until I was like, right, let's do these gong shows. And so I went to um, the Frog and Bucket in Manchester, which is an amazing club. Um, they have a gong show and it's not a horrible gong show like a lot of them tend to be sometimes it's a quite nice gong show but the audience are also told don't be too nice if they're give them a minute and if they suck just you know you know do what don't just gong them after 10 seconds and I used to do that back when I first did it I was terrible I barely lasted a minute and so my determination was like if I can go in front of real paying people (laughs) who are not comedians and this is funny then I'm going to stick with it and I did I beat the gong 
and then I came second. Uh, I didn't win. Ooh. I then subsequently did it five more times and came second every time <laughs> to the point where the people who ran it just went, we think you're good enough. Here's some uh, preview spots that they have on their other nights. So would you like to do a thing? I was like, yeah. I think they just kind of went, he's, he's consistently good at losing. So let's <laughs> so. That was actually our so, question from Oisin. Um, he, w- he was talking to us because what we do, we... we We'll talk to you, and in the end, we'll ask for a question that you yeah. want to leave us with for for our next comedian. Um, and he asked us exactly about uh, that thing that could happen. That is that you you continue doing this, and you never become like a Dave Chappelle. You never become yeah. like a Patrice O'Neill. Yeah. Like, how does one deal with that? How does one deal with that? I don't really like think just being a working comedian. Yeah, I don't really think about it because um, that to a degree. Because I have to, you have to remember, Dave Chappelle has been around for a long time, yeah. and um, and it's only like he's been famous but it's only now that he's been acclaimed for how good he is as a comic you gotta remember Chappelle's show was like the late 90s mm-hmm. so when that was going around and that's nearly 20 odd years from there yeah. so it's a constant slog I, I, they always say that you don't know anything for the first 10 years which I, I don't know whether that's madness or not from someone it sounds like it sounds like a it sounds like an old veteran comedian saying you don't know nothing after 10 yeah. years you know, then you'll know what comedy's like mm-hmm. you know? that's what we were talking yeah. about yesterday how it seems like we're like constantly in the beginning part because mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it is the beginning yeah. so clearly but at the same time like how long does the beginning last it lasts exactly long. I mean I'm at the point now where I'm <laughs> getting uh, paid for a lot of the work I do but I know that's going to be where I am now for like about two or three years where you are Stag- you feel like you're stagnant but you're still earning and you're still pushing and then you start have to consider things like well do I want to go to Edinburgh yeah. and take an hour up there and I've still never done that yet have I've you written not- an hour? I've not written an hour I don't even know how much I have material wise because the stuff I have that I'd like to talk about in an Edinburgh show because Edinburgh shows are always the same it's like it's a you do jokes but there's always a little bit where you put pathos in there and have a little bit of a relatable story to your life um, it almost turns into like a mini drama play mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of Edinburgh shows do that I think the joke is like 40 minutes in here's the pathos yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah we, we talked about it yeah. 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 the 40 minute mark yeah, right? yeah. I'm like, oh and here's the bit where I try and win an award <laughs> uh, I guess then you don't believe in this I, I um, do I do because do <clears throat> the stuff in my life that's happened that I think would make a great structure in that but I don't want to do it at 40 minutes I kind of want to build it in and <laughs> yeah. you know go around start it and stuff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> start Imagine. with the message yeah, yeah start the show with hello you know and just then something miserable now <laughs> <laughs> here's jokes everyone just don't cry it's, it's, I'm, I'm here yeah. carry on we going. made it yeah <laughs> so this is who I am yeah. <laughs> I did it last I did Edinburgh for the first time last year properly on a show I did a show called Best in Class which was a compilation show that was organised by Sean Davies who's this brilliant um, Liverpool comedian Um, and it was for working class comedians um, who can't really afford Edinburgh so it was Mm. eight comedians two each week performing to about uh, a room of like 40, 50 people bucket split kind of gig got loads of money for it Um, it was non-profit so we all kind of did shows around the country raising funds for it and it was an amazing experience because Edinburgh uh, is incredibly hard to afford if you are not middle to upper class and white and a male Mm. and um, mostly mostly based in London it is very Mm. difficult because it's all a lot of the work is in London and it almost feels like that working class acts are almost feel it almost feels like you're not allowed to play with us mm-hmm. kind of like because mm. it's so hard for us to afford it a lot of acts have like me um, we do have day jobs 
where we do have to work and earn money and then we work in the evening doing the comedy and then we have to find a way to save that money because to even get your show registered and get the room and stuff and that's not even if you're doing the proper fringe if you're doing the free fringe deal um you're still looking at several grand several thousand pounds where or euros where you are you know you have to pay for your flyering you have to pay for if you want to spend money on pr that's a lot of money um you've room to rent uh, your accommodation which with edinburgh bumping up the prices and stuff is not easy and you feel that like that's why that's great that you've got shows like best in class around because i think it's very important that a lot of working class voices are heard as opposed to um posh southerners not that i've got a problem with londoners it's just like it's like it's that kind of there's a lot of stuff based down there and um I feel that there is, and it's weird from a white male comic to say it, but there is too much white male voices in comedy. Mm -hmm. And I think there should be a lot more diversity in it. Did you notice this exclusive sort of structure of, of, at other festivals as well, or was it just uh, Edinburgh very stuck it, out I, for you? I think it's just because Edinburgh is such a huge festival. Mm -hmm. I think that's where it really kind of stands out, mm -hmm. um, especially when you see you're who looking gets through the, the yeah the, when when the you see when you see who gets nominated for what as mm -hmm. well, and mm -hmm. you kind of you know it's all they all tend to be at the Pleasance. That's the main area in Edinburgh, and all the main nominated shows get come, come from there. It seems like reviewers have a force field around them where they don't want to actually go and see. And very occasionally does shows break through from other venues. Like last year, um, there's a Manchester sketch group called The Delightful Sausage, which is a brilliant name. <laughs> they, um, they did a, a show, and they got nominated for, um, for one of the best shows, which was a, which was a victory for everyone seeing oh, cool. them get nominated. And they, I thought that was fantastic. But yeah, Edinburgh's a tough nut to crack. Um, you can go there and spend 28 days or whatever going completely out of your mind mm -hmm. or you can have the best time of your life but I think that comes from maybe grafting a bit longer and having a lot more behind you it's got very depressing hasn't it <laughs> <laughs> it's good for us don't we're, do we're comedy <laughs> <laughs> we're actually we're planning Benny uh, and Diederik and oh no not Diederik sorry Jakob and me we're planning to go with yeah. with like 15 minutes each <clears throat> oh so you're going to do like um like an hour compilation. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, luckily we have the accommodations. So yeah, that's some, uh, some through some friend of a friend. Oh, that's <laughs> good. No, that's <laughs> good. Yeah, um, I, I have, I have people I know I can stay with and stuff while I'm over there. I'm not going to be up there this year. I think if I'm up there, it's going to be like for uh, three or four days just mm -hmm. to watch some shows, because I don't, I don't have a show up there for this year. Mm -hmm. I might next year. I might try. I think the aim this year is to start writing the framework and the idea mm -hmm. for something I'd like to do. Yeah, because yeah, if you feel like when, when you're building an hour, it's more like <laughs> that thing where you're like, you, you want it to be coherent in some type of way. You want it to like yeah. say something, you know? So when you pick your name, like it has something to do with, with the hour that you made. Yeah. You feel like you, you know what you'd want to be talking about. There's, a, there's stuff, I don't, I don't really want to reveal what it is, but there's a lot of stuff <laughs> that just happened around the time I started getting back into comedy that made me want to kind of write about it. And... It's not stuff I can go and do at a club. So yeah. um, there are like spoken word um, nights in Manchester and other places. And I've done those shows there where I've done the stories and they've gone well. So what it is now is like with that nun joke. I need to find the story and what I'm going to talk about and then the structure of it. And then actually then start working on it rather than just like saying a block of dialogue. I need to find the nuances, eliminate things here and there and then actually work on it as a piece and then try and work it into the framework of a show. 
Because I do think there's a running theme. Sorry, one last thing. A running theme in your in your uh, set that is about like this person that the world sees you to be versus the person that you are and like how you kind of like come into, I don't know, like why wouldn't you allow me to sit next to you? Or also uh, you have some stories about like whether when, when you were growing up that you didn't know if you were into girls or into boys yeah. and that you were watching, uh, you say you're Bay watching Watch Baywatch for the plot. It's yeah. <laughs> a really good one. Um, and it's that whole thing that's like back and forth between like what society kind of tells you that you're supposed to be doing and what you're supposed to look like and what you're what you do look like um and maybe that i thought was like a a recurring thing i have two really wonderful comments i had once about my act someone called me upbeat (laughs) self-deprecation and the fact that he he just he rubbishes himself but he's so happy about it when he talks (laughs) and i got i did i did a show once where i got reviewed and the reviewer called me um described me as a friendly misanthrope which is a description of uh, he seems very jovial, but I don't think he likes people very much, which I thought was a wonderful name for, like, it could be a name for a show, Friendly yeah. Misanthrope. Yes, it could. It's, like, it's just a wonderfully odd malproprism of, like, uh, yeah, he seems nice. I don't think he likes people, but he's a very nice person. I'm sure he and he's still trying to connect. Like, he's doing something that's connecting yeah, yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a little bit of like there's a, an undercurrent of strangeness about him. Yeah, like, he seems upbeat, but my goodness, I'm sure he has terrible days. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Yeah, no, you were talking about the the process of writing and editing uh, your jokes, and I was I just wondering, everyone has a different way of going about editing your uh, yeah. jokes. So uh, just an open questions on. Uh, what you do when you have to work on a joke? Do you go for a run? Do you uh, isolate yourself in your room? Uh, it comes from, from, it's a very, it sounds like madness, this. But what it is, is if I have um, the joke and the frame of it and the block of it, I will walk around my room and perform it. Uh-huh. And then I will occasionally, you'll improvise something and something will come to your head there and go, oh, that's funny. And you'll write that down. And you sort of um, are constantly changing the idea a bit. And then, you have the block of dialogue of what you want to talk about and then you kind of go, okay, now let's actually put jokes in there. Let's change this there and um, you know, you'll come up with something on the spur of the moment. Usually you might chat with another comedian going, I've got this idea, you know, and then they'll offer a one line here and you can go, oh, that is better than that. That's too wordy. And so what I do is I, I it must drive my, my housemates mad um, <laughs> where, where I live in Manchester, but I walk around the room like pretending I'm doing sort of stand up, but it's like almost like in like a circle. I moved you around. You hold the room something in your hand. <laughs> I, sometimes I do. I just have my hand like my fist. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and I just talk. Like, and I talk about that, and I find yeah. the pauses, how I would move on stage because I move quite weirdly on stage and yeah. stuff. I can't stand still, so I just find it uncomfortable standing still telling jokes. I have to be moving. It's just the way I feel more confident and more into what I'm doing. But um, from there, yeah, you have the joke framework, and then you just. Um, you just perform it and keep performing it. Then you take it to like an open mic night and you kind of just do it bare bones. This is everything. See what the audience did react to. Mm-hmm. Ask a couple of comics if they're there. Hey, um, what do you think of that? Ask them to like watch that bit specifically and go tell me what you think. Uh, and then you go and work on it more. And then you start trying to go into other places, trying to put it into your set a little bit. So take like a small version of it. And then, you know, usually you have, um, <clears throat> sorry, you usually have like a great part of your set. So there's usually a great joke, but then there's also subsidiary jokes. So I do that bit about pornography um, that you mm-hmm. saw last night. Now, I have the basic joke there that was like about two and a half minutes. I've got other jokes in that bit, the extra bit, uh, extra add-ons, but I don't really use them because that's the killer bit. 
that's the really good bit. Mm -hmm. But I have a longer bit if I've got a longer time on stage and I want to kind of add to it. So sometimes you take the good bit and then you kind of try working in the newer bit and stuff Mm -hmm. like that again. Because you were like, you're like, oh, I did like that joke. Why did I cut it? And I was like, well, it's because this bit was really working. It didn't fit in. And then you try and work it back in and stuff. And so you're always chopping and changing. I don't think you ever get rid of material. I think it just gets put on like the B side. Yeah. You know, <coughs> until you can. Do you do yeah. do, do you yeah. listen to to people's advices around you throughout um, you your writing process? I or, do, or yeah, after yeah. the or after the. Uh, no, I'm. Um, I, I, yeah, it, it depends. What, like if I'm working with someone writing a bit, obviously you're listening. You're you kind of you're riffing ideas back and forward and it's always you should always ask another comic on you know that you're working with on your kind of level to kind of go you know um i've been working on this tell me what you think about it you know is this something you've heard before maybe or is it a different thing or how does this work is it what what should the structure change should i put that joke there because i feel like that leading could be different and i think that's something we all kind of worry (coughs) about like in the way that our our joke like our angle what you were talking Mm. about earlier is like particular to us and also because we're talking about a subject that a lot of people talk about whether it's like relationships like mm-hmm. in, in the broader sense but like bringing your own little thing to it what would you say is your thing um for those of you who, for those that didn't see you like your your point of view that would make you have a, a way of telling jokes that isn't the same as everybody else it's like you're an english comedian but you're an english comedian with a what uh i would i, I just i just think I, I would say just like an eccentricity i i like the audience not knowing too much about me but at the same time, kind of like not knowing my opinion on things. Yeah. So I don't want like, like we mentioned with Brexit and things. I, I like the idea that they just look at me and go, well, he's a bit, he's a bit interesting. He's a bit odd. Um, and I want them to kind of just go, well, he was funny. That's the aim is to be funny and get paid. That is also <laughs> stress enough. I was like, because um, someone said like, what if they ask you what's your favorite thing about comedy? And my reaction would be getting paid on time. Because that's oh, yeah, why. Oh yeah, you ended with the invoice. You know, I think if you, I think if you get into comedy for just the art, I think you're a bit daft. Just for the I think laws. you know, I just, I think, I, I think if you do so much of it and don't get paid for it and don't intend to want to. I think you're wasting your time a bit. I think everyone's always doing something to be doing something to earn something. And it's like it's like what do you want to do, for example, with your like what is your aim in your career, Benny? Well, my aim yeah. in my career is to become a big comedian in yeah. Italy, or yeah, uh, hopefully, and to be yeah. paid for it, and to be yeah, a personality, absolutely. and you know, and it, that is what everyone should but want. Can I ask a question? This actually leads quite well to a question I wanted to ask you. Like, when when did you know that you were worth being paid for? When I started getting um, like accepted to do other gigs, so when um, and like kind of got a bit of a reputation of like, oh, he's very good, you know. And you never hear people saying that about you, but then an actor will go, oh yeah, I heard good stuff about you, and I go, oh, good. And then you, you hear it's from you hear it's from like a bigger act who said it, and you're like, oh, that's good. Then that means that someone's taking notice and stuff. And I think um, when you start getting asked to do slightly longer sets, so you start doing tens, and then you start doing 15s and then you've done certain things so I went to Berlin last year and I did stuff there and then I did best in class which I think a lot of people kind of went oh okay so he's been picked for that that's good and so obviously um in earlier this year in February I um I did a thing called Circuit Breakers for the Leicester Comedy Festival which Mm -hmm. is one of the other big festivals in the UK and it was again like best in class it was eight acts who were sort of breaking into sort of mainstream paid work or that kind of in comedy and it was showcasing them uh, and it was in these lovely big sold out shows we did radio interviews for that and photo shoots with um, people and then we've got another show for that next Thursday in London so I have to travel all the way down to them it's at the Bill Murray 
in mm. London, which is this fantastic oh, venue. Oh, so I'm going to be wow. doing that there oh. as well. And um, so hopefully there'll be some interesting faces there who might see me and go, oh, he's pretty good, you know. Because mm. I think I'm the only Northern act on uh-huh. that on that bill as well. So so you'd say that <coughs> like the way to making it into professional work is uh, um, the network, is having it's other people notice you. Yeah, you, you have to network. I mean, you also have to be funny. <laughs> you can't. You can't yeah, be. Can do without that. You can't <laughs> be terrible. You have to be <laughs> funny. I mean, enter the competition. I mean, competitions are very important. Try and win them. I'm terrible with competitions. I don't. I'm never very good at them. So what I've just done is I've just continued to graft for the three years. I think. The, uh, I think I um, I did like forty gigs over. Graft the, is a northern term uh, for working work really hard. Work hard. Yeah. Work really oh, hard. Oh, thank you. I, so I used to live in Scotland. It's a very I, working I class. Grafter, it's so. a working class northern term. Yeah, grafting means putting in a shift. Yeah, yeah. I used to work as a chef in Glasgow yes. and they would tell me, you're a grafter. Yeah, you're a grafter. You're a grafter, grafter lad, lad. Yeah. grafter. <laughs> I was 19, yeah. working 60, 70 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah a should... pizzeria. Yeah, <laughs> Mamma mia, I was yeah, a grafter. A, it's, it's, Italian, it's Italian lad's a grafter, isn't it? So, <laughs> Look at um, but rolling yeah, his sleeves up putting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful hearing an Italian man doing an impression of a man from Glasgow yeah. <laughs> God, I'm so, so ha- I'm so happy you didn't ever do it in Glasgow you'd have got your head kicked in um, <laughs> but, um, oh I have already <laughs> people the chefs would go in the kitchen and go like, oh shut up you're European yeah. before, that was before you European <laughs> yeah that was before Brexit when Scotland was, wanted to leave the UK and they were all very I imagine it's because they just couldn't that. remember where you were from like, Ironic considering they are also European, which makes no sense to <laughs> them. But, um, but um, I've completely forgot the question. Oh, it was um, work, so it was working to get paid. It was yes. that kind of um, so yeah, you can do competition stuff, and that gets you recognised. But you don't get into it from there. You still have to um, graft, put a shift in, and work hard. So when I first did it in the first those first two years before I quit, I did about forty shows. Mm-hmm. didn't I so um, so in the first year back first nine months from March to December of 2017 I did 91 gigs mm-hmm. and n- not a lot of them were paid but I just went everywhere I could just to continue getting better and better mm-hmm. and better and I think by like September 2018 I'd done 200 gigs and I was like right I'm going to stop counting there yeah. and since then like last year 2019 was the busiest year I had so I don't know how many gigs I've done now it must be over 400 maybe but you so just more continually more than, more than one a day. Yeah, you just continually work over and over and over, and eventually that pays off because people you just know your name from being on advertised on bills on social media. Sure. They'll see who's performing, and you see their name, and you go, oh, that guy's cropping up everywhere," and and on decent shows and stuff. And then people just start having the faith in you to go, "Yeah, he's reliable. He can do that. I can I can have him do a fifteen minute set at this club, and it'll be grand." And that is what I'll be doing for ages until I can work my way up more and more which is always going to be difficult because there's so many comedians in the UK there's lots but it's just a case of uh, not knocking your cup over and continuing to (laughs) (laughs) continuing to work through I think if you just keep working hard uh, eventually you do start getting offered getting offered paid work for it because you're just putting in the time and effort yeah okay this might be a good moment to do our news hour. Yes. Oh, we have the news. We have the news. It's not an hour, though. No, 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 no worry, guys. There's uh, barely, <laughs> barely a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. Which um, one is it? This live one? on Comedy Underground's radio. It uh, is. Welcome the to news. the news. You have it. Oh, oh shit, 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 shit. Sorry, sorry, guys. Uh, 
The volume. The volume. See, I've tried so hard not to swear, <laughs> and you've just been dropping <laughs> S-bombs there in a row. Yeah, who told you we not are, to? We are, at, we are at the 40-minute mark. I just this felt, is okay. I did say that, but I also heard in my material, I do say a swear word, so I should have fucking started, though. <laughs> <laughs> We're 40 minutes in. Oh, lovely. This is fine. Okay, here um, we go. Benny, do you have your phone? Oh, I do. Somewhere. Okay, hold on tight. Uh, so okay, I'll just out. fill in Good. the dead air here while we yes. figure out what's going on with the uh, phone. <laughs> uh, you might have heard a slight bit of the news Wait, sting that's... there, but we are just about to get the news on for you. There's a lot of tension here as everyone looks at their phones. <laughs> but I believe because... we're about to go into the news. We are prepared. Are we guys? We are almost prepared. We are, we are coming prepared. to you live with the news in about a... 20 seconds. <laughs> is going to be on seconds. in 20 seconds. What have you ever done? I still have segments. Should we do a little line of dialogue? What have you ever done in 14 seconds and 13 seconds and 12 seconds? And now it's nearly 10 seconds. I still have Explorer. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> Explorer? <laughs> My God. How is, in, how is Encarta 96? Is that still a big thing for you I, on your I, phone? I, I, I'm from <laughs> Eastern Europe. We still have VHS. Oh, I'm, man. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm I think sorry. it's time for the news, though, isn't it? It is. Yes. It's a time of time. Welcome to the news. This is the part of the show where we discuss the news. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, American owner of emerging Mexican airline accused of racism after naming the uh, company. After the controversy, the CEO responded, can't see what's wrong with the name Air Iba, Air Iba. All right, Malawi legalizes cannabis in hopes of fresh economic growth. In other news, the stocks of Malawi's biggest hacky sack producer are skyrocketing. Can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) In Saudi Arabia, four women are potentially infected by the coronavirus. They are under observation, isolated from the rest of the society. Not because of the virus, for being a woman, of course. (laughs) NASA images show a decrease in pollution over China amid slowdown. Thanks to the coronavirus, China is now carbon neutral. (laughs) (laughs) International Women's March was interrupted by anti-feminist protests. There is no need for such aggression on such a peaceful day, said all the men around the world with a small penis. (laughs) Two Chinese men plead guilty to photographing U.S. Navy base. What? Chinese men taking photos? What's next? Squirrel playing Minecraft? (laughs) (laughs) in britain farmers put a fitbit on a pig another one ate it then he pooped it out and the device mixed with the excrement set the farm on fire there is no joke i just really wanted to tell this (laughs) (laughs) all right orban says hungary will defend eu against migrant wave you don't need to defend anything just wave back All right, Hungarian man (laughs) stole several equipment from a playground in Budapest, including a climbing frame, plastic toys, and even a sandbox. And he left the children there. What a fucking loser, responded the Catholic Church. (laughs) Greece uses tear gas on migrants at border as row with Turkey worsens. I thought tear gas was just when you fart so hard, you cry a little bit. <laughs> uh, these were all the news we had. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your attention. <laughs> this week was crazy, wasn't it? 
What do oh, you no. All right. Cool. We should. We should. We still gotta figure out an outro <laughs> for that. Yeah, we should. <laughs> that, <that'll be laughs> Personal news is closing. Maybe yeah. the little art thing. And we're back. <laughs> 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 that was the news. <laughs> <coughs> right, we're back. We're back. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the co- this conversation. Is there something else we wanna we wanna discuss? We touched upon some uh, some many many topics. You are uh, on a tour. Tell us about your next yes, destinations yes. and next. Uh, <laughs> it's sort of a tour, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's just I'm there. I'm every. I'm, uh, well, uh, what for? So I did nutty. I did nutty Anita's when I got here on the Thursday. Yeah. And then Friday to Sunday, I did um, comedy embassy for. Uh, they were great gigs. They were fun. It was um, so it was Boom Chicago on the Friday, and then Saturday and Sunday at the Comedy Cafe. Also on the Saturday, I did the Mezrab. Which is a great, I love that. Yeah. What a wonderful! Shout it was like one of the best venues in. It's Amsterdam such a strange though. setup. It looks like it feels like I think it said last night. It feels like you're gigging in a commune. Because there's people <laughs> sat on the floor. You are. They've got the tiered seat, but also all those mattresses and benches and stuff. And I was like, Will they let me leave? You know that kind of. Um, and then so again Sunday last night I was back at Comedy Cafe. I was with you guys last night. And then tonight I'm at Laughing Lyrics. Nice. Um, which is, that's the I was gonna say which a venue I can't remember. <laughs> but, um, so I'm there tonight, and then I'm done, and then I'm done. So I fly back on Thursday morning, and then on Friday, not that anyone here will make it. I mean, Hull on Friday. I'm back on the grind in the UK. I'm back back at where I'm doing it. So, um, so I'd be Hull, and then I've got that London gig, and then I think at the end of March I am doing um, the stands, as we mentioned there. The stand comedy mm-hmm. clubs are in. Uh, they're, they're professional clubs and they do sort of like trial shows and stuff for newer comics up and coming. I've, I'm going to be doing all three of their venues over three days. So nice. on the Sunday, I'll be in Edinburgh on the no, no, it's not Sunday. On the Monday, I'll be in Edinburgh. The Tuesday, I'll be in Glasgow. The Wednesday, I will be in Newcastle. And then the Thursday morning, I will be back in work. So that is you don't get much sleep. If you do um, comedy and you have to travel around mm. a lot, you have to. There are things you have to sacrifice, like money, friends, um, <laughs> relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are a lot of it. You are. You spend a lot of time just traveling around, kind of wondering why you do this. <laughs> but there's a, lot, I've got, there's a lot of fun stuff coming up, and I'm very excited for it. So, do you travel with the same ten minutes or ten same? 15 minutes yeah pretty much it's like um you'll you'll get you'll do tens and stuff and then what happens is um you'll be booked saying oh we'd like to book you for like 15 20 and you're like oh okay that's um what's my 15 what can i put in there (laughs) what do i what do i usually do as a 15 and then you're given a 20 or something you go oh brilliant okay well there's a bit i've not done for a while there and i can do a longer bit of that bit i've curtailed originally you do like if you do 10 minutes sometimes you use shorter versions of your stories and yeah. it's like, well, I've got 20, so I can do a little bit of a longer version of it and work on it and try and get it to work and stuff like that. So, it, yeah, it's a weird one. No, not when I've been, I've been, I've done slightly longer sets, but that's purely because the audience were really going for it. Yeah. And I just kind of went over, but then the promoter was like, that was good because the bar wasn't ready. You, know, you, like, so. you, you allow yourself to play a little bit with your, yes. on stage? Oh, yeah, yeah, you do. And it's um, it's a kind of relief sometimes when you get like the person at the back flashing you the lights and you've got like two minutes and you're like oh point your time just go into this last bit now where's the nun joke and yeah. it's like but um you can get like it's interesting to get carried away like i did do, i did do a show somewhere in the north um in england where um i was doing meant to do 20 but there was some issue with the bar setting up for like the interval so i just like but the audience was so into it i ended up doing nearly 30 
And I was like, so dead apologetic, going, I'm so sorry I ran over time. And the parent was like, no, it's fine. I'm really glad you did because we couldn't get the bar ready. And I was like, oh, good. That's good then. But then I realised then, oh, well, I can do 30 if I yeah. really want to push it, um, but with the right audience. And it's like, so yeah. it's, it always, it's always interesting to surprise yourself. What are you going to ask me, Benny? Yeah, I, have a question <laughs> about, I have a question about different, different audiences because <clears throat> last night you crashed it at, uh, at the open mic. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, and uh, I, I saw a post this morning that you posted on Facebook. You were like, is it me that's getting better or is it the audience in Amsterdam that just has very low standards? <laughs> it's the latter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so so uh, how are audiences different in different comedy you know, scenes? It's, and, uh, I feel that um, to go back to that kind of north-south thing, I think in the north people want to laugh. They really just want to be entertained. I think sometimes when I've done gigs further down south, there's a vibe of... Um, you're talking about the UK? Or yeah, in the UK. Is this south for you? Yeah, the that? south of the UK is like London, oh, that yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I feel down there there's almost a feeling of impress me. Mm. You know, mm. and I think they kind of want the intelligent comic comedy. And I, I, right. I feel that they also, they'll be the, the, I think that they're more than likely to go, I'm offended by that. Whereas mm. I think in the north, I don't really think anyone cares. No one seems to give a fuck uh, in, in the north of England. It's like you get comedy that is slightly of its time people will still go and watch that in like uh, like social clubs There's the, I want to say kind of old man clubs I, I can't really give you an example of what a working men's social club is in in in, um, in the Netherlands uh, if, if you've ever seen Peter Case Phoenix Nights um, no. a sitcom it's like it's based in like an, it's like working men's clubs of these things yeah. from the 70s where you know blokes went to get away from the wife yeah, and yeah. Mm. sit and smoke <laughs> and watch a comedian who spoke like this <laughs> tell jokes about people of colour which are not acceptable now but it's like it's what it was and that that kind of humour still exists in the very nether regions of comedy mm. especially now you've got a lot of people kind of banging the free speech drum especially with Brexit in the UK mm. um, you have a lot of uh, comedians who are like I am uh, the UK's only right wing comedian like that's their mm. vibe thing and mm. then they, they talk about like they do jokes about they do anti-left jokes and so far because the right is a very easy punch bag for comedy yeah. because they tend to be fairly soulless human beings a lot of them so I can see why you know I can see why a lot of comics are anti that and talking for them because um, there's an angle there I guess in a way as well and there is that audience it's a shame because I'm not I'm, I, I would say I'm not extremely left wing I'd say I'm kind of in the centre by more sing, swings to the left of politics than the right because I just um, well I have morals and sympathy for humans you know it's like, <laughs> it's like kind of how I feel as a person um, but uh, I feel that in the north yeah you you have audiences that just want to laugh and stuff they just want to be entertained and I feel mm -hmm. that I feel that um I feel that in some places they expect more more of the craft of it. Yeah, and it's like but that doesn't matter. It should be just be funny. If it's funny, it's funny. You know. You brought in <clears throat> you brought in politics though. Mm. In the, and we were talking before about yeah. the, the the political comedy. Um, what do you, do you think that comedy has? You, you say it's just about being funny, just about laughing. But there is some people that are there also to listen to. Yeah. Political points of view. Oh yeah. What do you think be, it's yeah. comedy's role in in politics? It's yeah. a very important role in politics if you are good at talking about it. So you've got people like Mark Steele in the UK. You've got Nish Kumar who does quite a lot of stuff about Absolutely it. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, they have. The um, I think it's the Mash Report is the oh, yeah. UK yeah. show, which which is hit and miss. I have to say because mm -hmm. I think some of it's just clearly just punching at the mm -hmm. right, and you're like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, but it's come on. You can be better. You can do better than that. Be a bit more, you know, work, put a bit more effort in. And it's like, <clears throat> I think I feel that the, I feel the perfect kind of political satire is one that mocks all of it. 
mm-hmm. mocks everyone for their faults. Mm-hmm. You know, I think like I think so, like uh, we were speaking about Saturday Night Live in the US. They're very good at that because they have to sort of be quite apolitical, mm-hmm. and they really kind of they will they will target they'll target Trump, but they, they but they also would mock Hillary Hillary Clinton at the time mm-hmm. and things mm-hmm. like that. And um, there is no, it has a role in comedy because. It is such a constantly important thing. It also helps that politicians in the UK tend to either be overly too nice and trying, like in Labour for the Labour Party, they're all like, it's they're having a crisis at the moment. Obviously, with Jeremy Corbyn losing the election to Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. you then have Boris Johnson, who is a, an incredibly strange character yeah, as a per- guy. And we just have we just have all these just horrible people who seem to have this like the kind of masqueraders bumbly silly people like we've got Jacob Rees Mogg who mm. he's a very interesting he's an, an, an obscenely posh man uh, he look he's <laughs> the, the man who wears the big t- the hat he'd chuck oh, a, you know guy. with the glasses mm. oh, he'd yeah, chuck a child up a chimney if he could but people he will make you work on Christmas people yeah people seem to quite like him though because he's that the gimmick is that he's a bumbling posh person. Yeah, it's kind of like, like uh, the olden days. Yeah, and it's like yeah. some people seem to think that's ironically funny, and it's like, no, he's horrible. It's mm. like Boris Johnson, they shouldn't have ever put him on television. No, but we do have the <laughs> thing about, like, we like seeing people be who they are, yeah. and we'll, like, we'll just praise them for yeah. allowing themselves to be who they are. It's the thing about Trump yeah. as well. It's like he said it like it is, that yeah. type of thing. Well, and with Boris Johnson, it's more a case of he plays the bumbling... He plays the sort of bumbling. Whereas actually, he's a cunningly smart man Mm. and a very deceptive man. Like, you got me very political now. But that's what this isn't me doing comedy. It's what he is. He's a very, very cunning man. And what it is, is because he was such a bumbling, like, around the time that um, the Conservatives uh, were not in power and they were seen as an old joke after Thatcher and everyone, they were seen as these old, posh jokes. And they started putting him on, like, have I got news for you and stuff like that. And everyone was like, oh, he's a laugh, isn't he? He's, like, so silly and stuff. And then slowly... People liked it because he was a laugh and people were voting because he was funny, not because of his policies. He ended up being the mayor of London. Now he's the prime minister. And uh, I just don't think he's a very, he's not a nice person. So I just don't think he cares for people particularly much unless it's in his interests. But because he was a bumbling, silly person, we let him in through the back door. And that's how it happened. You know, that's how that kind of stuff happened. And so you get these horrible character like David Cameron at the time who was would just you ever, would you ever would you ever work man. as a ghostwriter for a politician uh, not no because um, I don't care enough there for that I, I care about a lot of things in politics and a lot of causes but I wouldn't want to be involved in it because I mean I, I lose sleep doing comedy I don't think I'd sleep at all if I worked in politics mm. it seems like a thankless job where People just swear at you all the time. Also, I'd have to wear a suit a lot. And no, that but can I'm, get talking, out. I'm that talking as a, you know, you you mentioned that how. Uh, oh, like a joke com- writer. Yeah, like a joke writer. They, they really thought through. Like the, the ca- I'm sure that behind I'd Boris Johnson, there is somebody telling him, you know, they, try this, try that. No, what they should do. No, bit. they should they should they should write five minutes and try it at an open mic night. They should work like I did. That's what I think <laughs> they should do. <laughs> Turn up in your suit with your blue rose on and try and do a joke. <laughs> so, me, uh, so according to you, then, if someone does political humor just to say because you mentioned uh, yeah. uh, lots of points then it has to be precise distributed and critical to some extent i think it, i think it should be just constantly different i think you constantly. should have a, have a different angle i don't think you should be like oh donald trump's silly isn't he you've got to have a thing you know and it's almost like he's too easy of a target even though he's such a huge person mm-hmm. to target it almost seems like it's too easy mm-hmm. you know but then 
I don't know enough about American yeah, politics yeah. to know about that too much either. I do. Um, unfortunately, we're reaching our hour point, oh, and we okay. we do want to uh, wrap it up a little bit with a with a question, maybe that you would like for us to discuss with a with another with our next comedian. We don't know who that will be yet, but we'll have him on. No, we know. Who Lynn, we do? Lynn Ruth Miller. Oh, of course, oh, Lynn, yeah, Ruth Lynn, Ruth Miller. Miller. Lynn Ruth Miller. <laughs> yes, My goodness, she's oh. coming on next week. Uh, I, well, she's like a, 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 a lady of mature age. Indeed, she um, ad, uh, she's advertised <laughs> as the oldest female working yeah. comedian. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd have to. But I'm sure it'd be like, did you have an affair with Kirk Douglas? That'd be what I'd ask. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what was it? Uh, do you still speak to Olivia de Havilland? No, uh, uh, she's still alive. She's 102, and she's she's like the last Hollywood actress left alive. Um, good lord, that that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know what to ask Lynn Ruth Miller. My goodness, but her position in comedy. What does she think about it? I don't know. You can ask her anything. I, w- I would say how how has comedy how has comedy changed her as comedy has changed. Hmm. How has comedy <laughs> changed? Her as comedy, as comedy has itself changed. has changed, so okay. obviously she's been performing for many, many years. So, mm-hmm. so has okay. she as a comedian? As time and the place evolved her as a comedian. Interesting. That's oh, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to be asked. Can you come up with something to ask a ninety-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> Well, tune in next week, yes. and uh, we it'll be one hour of that. Okay. Well, uh, well, we had a great time interviewing yeah. you. This oh, was, it was uh, fantastic! Was Thank you for having me on. This has been wonderful. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, you plugged in your shows coming up. We're gonna plug in our shows coming <laughs> up. Oh yeah, do I get to? Oh, sure. I put can, my yeah. socials there quickly then. Yeah, no, uh, yeah go please. Uh, yeah, I'm on. Tw- I'm on Twitter at the Ash Preston because there was already an Ash Preston. <laughs> so <laughs> Facebook, I'm Ash Preston comedian, and Instagram, I am again the Ash Preston. So I post stuff on there all the time. So. Awesome. Uh, follow him. I'll tag yes. him right here. Yeah, and we'll, we'll oh, follow. Oh, yeah. We'll, yeah. Follow. <laughs> we'll, we'll follow you. You'll follow us. We're the Comedy Undergrads. You find us on all the social media, on uh, Instagram, on Facebook. And with the shows that we have coming up tomorrow on Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday night. Hell Come on yeah. now. We are at the Science Park campus at the polder in the room to the side, that wonderful little barn thing. And we're going to be doing comedy covers. This is the first time probably in the world that anybody does this i think it is in the world it's an original original (laughs) idea uh we are going to be taking sets from our favorite comedians and we are going to interpret them our way so i'll be doing rory scovo um yeah don't check him out just come see me (laughs) 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 do yourself a favor we are Uh, cheaper yeah (laughs) and uh and our next show after that it's uh, march 17th in the new location at theater cafe uh, Tatar Cafe de Richel. We're going to be doing uh, uh, fun stories, uh, real stories told by fun people with uh, DJs afterwards. Yeah, it'll be about finding yourself and it'll be great. So please meet us there at 7. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wonderful. Thank you so much, Ash, for being here and for oh, talking to us. Oh, thank you very much for thank having us down. Again. All right. <laughs>